Okay. Hi, everyone. Good evening. Um, some new faces tonight. So welcome, if this is your first time here. Um, my name is Bernie, and this is um, like a wonderful group that's um, that's been come, getting together weekly for a while now. Um, so, um, as I, so if, does anyone have any questions that they would like addressed um, tonight or in some future class? Um, actually, I have a question or so that I'm already thinking of responding to tonight, um, but I actually would love for my well-laid plans to be disrupted. It's always more fun. Um, when things that I'm planning don't work out the way that I want them to. It just becomes more interesting and lively. So I'm actually hoping someone has questions, <laughs> but don't make one up. It has to be a real one or for it to work, yeah. I'll leave a, a short space of silence for people to get their courage up. And don't worry if there isn't one. Okay, so um, wait, wait, I hope I didn't, did I miss someone? If someone wave their hand, no. Okay, good, all right, cool. Okay, so um, I, um, so it's actually been wonderful. People have been sending me emails um, between classes, not so much, sometimes asking a question like the one I addressed last week, um, but sometimes just maybe saying a little bit about how the practice is going or something they're they're dealing with, you know, not 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 so much straight up asking me um, about things, but just sort of you know, I don't know, sort of thinking about this. I'm working on this, and so two of those kinds of emails came since last Tuesday that will inform um, what I talk about tonight. Um, they they weren't questions per se, so it's not like I'm answering questions. Um, but they brought up issues that I think are of um, a general interest and connect to issues in practice of general interest. And so um, I think the f I'll, I'll address one right away and I'll just mention what the other one is, but I will talk about that one after we sit for a bit together. So for those of you who are new, by the way, what we it's like it changes week to week. I mean, it's sometimes we'll start sitting right away. Um, and we usually sit for about somewhere between 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and sometimes we sit right away and then I'll you know talk for a bit and we'll have some some discussion or QA. Sometimes I talk for a bit and then we sit and then maybe talk a little bit more if there's time. So it really varies. Um, um so I think the one thing that I want to, so one of the two emails was just kind of an update about how this person's practice was going. And in this email, this person said something that actually made me realize, oh, you know, I kind of want to address this next time we get together as a group. Um, and it was the fact that over, you know, periodically, but especially over the last three to five weeks of this class, I've been talking about um, the ways in which practice can really bring up a lot of um, difficult emotions, feelings of intense vulnerability, um, even the sense that your your kind of coherence, uh, the coherence of yourself, is falling apart. Um, and and this this person was writing and saying that he had you know become pretty comfortable after many, many years of practicing. I feel like, you know, just 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 sitting was what, you know, what there is to do, just sit. Um, not that much drama. It helps um, settle the mind, helps settle the heart. Also helps, helped him feel over the years open to experience, open to, to life and, and occasionally opened him to um, uh, just even inexplicable moments of joy and peace and happiness and all, all that was sound wonderful. And then he said, and then, so when, when 
I would talk as much as I was doing recently about all the kind of potential emotional angst that can come up with practice. Um, he was saying, well, wow, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Why am I not falling apart? You know, is my practice that, is that, you know, um, you know, it doesn't mean that my practice isn't intense enough or, you know, or something like this. And, um, and I, luckily this person had enough experience to really practice, work through that and realize, no, that's not, it's not, it's just, I, you know, practice, my practice is what my practice is. Right. And he just saw that as another kind of script, which is exactly the thing to do, you know, another kind of storyline that was starting to emerge and hijack the mind and say, I'm not good enough. Something's wrong with me, et cetera, et cetera. And so this person actually needs no help. <laughs> I mean, so, but actually what this person was saying to me made me realize that there may be other people who are feeling similarly like, wow, I just don't relate to all the angst and emotional turmoil that, that Bernie's talking about all the time. Like, am I supposed to feel like I'm falling apart all the time? You know, um, and, and I think what I wanna say is no, there is no way, one way, or even two or three or four ways that this practice is supposed to feel. Um, it is the way it is for each of us. We each have our own path to walk. And so um, for some people, and I know this to be the case on in this class, some people just experience sitting as just calm and peaceful as a, as a, um, as a kind of respite you know, um, and um, and don't relate to the, the emotional upheavals that I, I sometimes refer to. Others I also know definitely do relate, you know, and feel like it is really, really difficult just to exist <laughs> and sitting um, sometimes helps, sometimes makes it worse, you know, and, and so, um, so, we ha and we have a lot of shades in between. And I think that precisely what this person who wrote me came to is, is the best thing to say to everyone. It's like, the practice is always the same. Just listen to the scripts, like listen to the storylines, listen to the inner chatter, right? And just note, notice them as scripts, as talk, as self-judgments. Um, and, and just know that there is no particular way this is supposed to feel at any point along the way. Um, I will, and I think I, what I also said to this person in a very brief response was after just thanking him for writing was that, you know, I think there is a way in which I feel a little bit more attentive to people who are having a hard time. Um, I think um, having experienced and still experiencing from time to time the kind of emotional turmoil I talk about, I'm not talking about it as something I can't relate to. I, I, think, I think you guys can hear that when I talk about it, that it's something I can definitely personally relate to. Um, I think it's my, my life over recent years with after many, many years of practice has settled down a lot. I think um, it's not so much that the ups or down, ups and downs aren't there. It's I think I feel less bothered by them. I think that would be the way to, to put it. Um, and so I I, um, I don't exacerbate the ups and downs as much as I used to by worrying about them or or trying to stop them or whatever it was. Um, but I know how painful and how disorienting and difficult it can be to have the kinds of emotional turmoil, to feel the emotional turmoil that I'm talking about. And I think I feel a special kind of um, care and compassion, empathy um, for those of you who might be going through that kind of stuff. And so, um, and I think it's even, you know, if you're feeling fine, I figure you are fine. <laughs> you don't need me to tell you that. If you're not feeling fine, maybe it can help to have someone say, you know, it's okay, you know? And so that's why if I seem to, you know, edge more towards attending towards the really sort of darker, more difficult aspects of practice, it's because I think that people who are going through those moments maybe need a little extra TLC, you know? Um, I certainly did. Um, and one of the reasons I love Ezra 
as a friend, uh, not just a teacher, but um, as a friend first and foremost, is because he was there when I was a wreck. And, um, and he um, just opened his heart to me as I was. And he didn't hide the fact that he was also going through some really difficult times too. Um, so I think I just really want to put that there because I think there is a risk that we hear certain accounts of practice and then start to compare our own experience to those accounts and say, why am I not matching up to this kind of um, narrative that is being given to me in this setting? There is no set path. Um, and in fact, the only thing to do if we are really practicing is just to notice the ways in which we are comparing ourselves, judging ourselves, thinking that we know how we should be doing right now. Um, so um, actually, if, I, if there was like a kind of heading for tonight's um, session, I think it would be the, the idea of not knowing and the, the crucial role that not knowing plays in practice. Ultim I think not knowing is, if you had to sum up what Zen is really about, um, so I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, but if you had to, I think not knowing would be a pretty good concept under which to organize a lot of things. And that's why Shunryu Suzuki Roshi entitled his classic on Zen, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Um, beginner's Mind is another way of talking about not knowing. Um, it's just the same, it's the same idea. Um, how can we approach every moment with the outlook of a total beginner? Someone who doesn't know, doesn't presume to know what this moment is supposed to be like, what it's supposed to mean, what it does mean. Um, in the Korean tradition, they call it, or, or Sung San's tradition, quantum school, they call it the don't know mind, only don't know. Like that, he sums up the goal of Zen practices, only don't know, which is odd, right? It's like we think of growing as learning, gaining knowledge, um, even gaining wisdom, right? But actually in a very deep way, which I think some of you are already sensing, but which I hope all of you will understand in deeper and deeper ways with practice. It's really not about gaining anything. It's about losing. It's about losing our sense of certainty, our knowingness. Um, actually, I wanna read uh, uh, a verse from the Tao Te Ching, which speaks to this. Um, and, um, well, just, I think that the lines kind of speak for themselves. Those who pursue learning gain something every day. We who pursue the Tao lose something every day. Loss after loss until we reach nothing to do no doing, yet nothing is not done. So it's, this first is about more than just not knowing. It's also about how that feeds into action, um, how, um, what it means to act with the Tao, which is acting without acting, right? Um, um, in Chinese, they call it wu wei wu, um, acting without acting, acting without doing. How do we do without doing? Um, and yet nothing remains undone, right? Um, it's a feeling that I think people who experience, who've practiced a while start to get in your daily activities where you, you just do what has to be done without you know, the ego, the controlling mind saying, this should be done. Now I need to do that. Now to do this, right? Like life as one task after another, things that need to get done, busy, 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 so many things to plan, to finish, right, to do. Can we approach life going with the flow, going with the Tao as just um, something we move through where things, everything that needs to be done gets done, um, but we don't have to be so busy, so full of ourselves in the doing of it all. Um, 
So it's not just about consciousness, it's about how that kind of consciousness translates into our way of being in, in the world. Um, so let's practice this, okay? Um, please get into a comfortable position. It can be sitting on a cushion or a seat with your back straight. So your front side is open and soft, your belly and chest, able to expand and move freely with the breath. Or if you're more comfortable reclining or lying, lying down, or your body just needs for you to do that right now, please feel free, totally free to do that. Listen to your body's needs. And whatever position you've taken, just take a moment and feel the contact that your body is making with whatever is supporting its mass, its weight. Perhaps sensations in your buttocks, in your feet, or in your back, if you're lying down or reclining. At the end of a long day, it's very, very likely that our minds have been distracted, spinning. By bringing our awareness to the places where our body is making contact with something supporting the body, we're just beginning the process of letting the mind settle. bring awareness back into the body. And not so lost in the future or in the past. Perhaps take a few deep breaths, breathing deeply in through the nose, long, slow inhalations and exhale slowly through your slightly open mouth, drawing your exhalation out. Take a few more deep breaths in this way, breathing in through your nose and out through your slightly open mouth. Some people find it helpful on the out-breath to say silently to themselves, relax, as a reminder to your whole being, it's okay to put its load down and to settle. Now please close your mouth and breathe in and out through your nose, unless of course your nose is too stuffy and feel free to keep breathing through your mouth. But if you can breathe in and out through your nose. And now just let the breath come and go at its own rhythm and pace. depending on how your emotions and mind are doing, the breath might actually be shallow and quick or even erratic, not deep and slow and calm. And that is okay. Release control of the breath and let it find its own way, its own rhythm.
And then just attend to how the breath moves, how the breath breathes itself. If you haven't already done so, please bring your awareness to the soft tissue on the inside of your nose. And you'll be able to feel there sensations produced by the passage of air in and out of the body. The sensations of the breath in the nose may be very subtle at first, and that's okay. Just feel the breath in the nose, the way it feels. My guess is that a number of you, including me, has already like lost yourself in fantasy and thinking, which would be totally normal, especially this early in a sitting. Just when you notice that you have become lost in thought, perhaps even lost track of the breath completely, just gently acknowledge that by saying thinking to yourself. And then gently, without judgment, bring your awareness back to the breath in the nose. And you'll have to do this time and again. Each time, be gentle. As you continue attending to the sensations of the breath in the nose, expand your awareness so that there's also room for all the sounds in the space around you. So part of your awareness is following the sensations of the breath in the nose. And part of your awareness is just listening to all the sounds that you can hear around you. This will require you to soften and open your awareness a bit, which is part of the point. Can't be too narrowly focused on the breath. Can't be too narrowly focused on sounds or else you won't be able to hold it all in awareness at once. A soft, open awareness will have room for both. And when thoughts, emotions, or a sensation carry your awareness away from the breath and sounds, just notice that, just acknowledge it. Perhaps take note of what kind of thought or emotion or sensation has pulled your awareness away. And then gently come back to the dual anchors of breath and sounds.
Some people think that when thoughts or emotions pull them away from their meditative anchors, like the breath, that somehow it's like a mistake or a bump in the road. Actually, the idea would be to stay single-mindedly focused on breath or whatever you're focusing on. Actually, that's not true. Part of the point of this kind of practice is to be aware of what's going through consciousness, what you're experiencing moment by moment. The beautiful thing about these anchors is it allows you to notice that you're thinking and even what you're thinking, that you're feeling and what you're feeling without being carried away by the spinning mind or the roiling heart. You can notice and then come back to the anchors. If you feel like you have your hands full with just breath and sounds, then just stick with breath and sounds for now. But if you feel like you can follow the breath and attend to sounds pretty easily, try adding a third anchor. I suggest either the sensations in your hands or the sensations in your buttocks. Please remember that thoughts are not a problem. The point is not to stop our thinking. Let the mind do its thing. Just notice what it's doing and use the anchors of breath, sounds, and perhaps hands to just stay grounded in the present moment, suiting it pulled away by the spinning mind. But if the mind is spinning or thinking, it's okay. Let it do its thing. Just stay present in the body at the same time.
some of you may notice as you're practicing that your awareness sometimes feels called or pulled to a particular thought or sensation or emotion, as if it's calling for your attention. If that happens, let your awareness go over there for a bit. Notice what's going on, how the body feels, how the emotions feels, what thoughts may be going through your mind. Attend to whatever is has called your awareness. And then after a bit, gently come back to the anchors. It's okay for awareness to move around a bit, especially if it feels called or pulled. If any of you are feeling any physical or emotional discomfort, notice how the body is holding that discomfort. Is it tensing up around that discomfort? Do you feel resistance in the form of tension to the uncomfortable sensations or feelings? If the feeling is very uncomfortable and maybe hard to get close to it, but let's try inching up to the sensations of discomfort, if you have them. Get close, but try not to get too close or don't be too pushy. And just feel what that resistance, that tightening up around discomfort feels like. Are there particular thoughts or emotions associated with that tension, that resistance? What are the thoughts saying? What tone of voice do they have? And how do they feel at the level of sensation? If you're not feeling any discomfort at all, just continue attending to the anchors of breath and sound. If you are feeling discomfort or resistance to discomfort, can you approach that resistance with some softness, some compassion? Can you explore it with genuine curiosity? Not the kind of attentiveness that's trying to get rid of something, but just saying hello.
if the discomfort you're feeling is so intense or so powerful that it's really the main part of your experience, then you can stay with it. But if it's not, if it's just part of a broader expansive experience, then let the discomfort be there for now. You've acknowledged it. You've said hello. And come back to the anchors of breath and sound. As you sit with these anchors and note the kinds of thoughts and emotions that are going through your mind, do you notice any thoughts that feel sure of what this meditation session is supposed to feel like? Have a sense of how you are, are supposed to be feeling right now. or that feel frustration because it's not feeling the way you'd like it to feel or think you're supposed to feel, or that may be judging you for not being able to do this in the way that you think you should be able to do this. Notice those kinds of thoughts that are about the meditation practice itself. What are those voices telling you about yourself and your experience? What tone do they have? Do they remind you of the voices of any other people in your life? And how do these thoughts and voices affect your body? Do they make you tighten up? Where? Just feel the sensations of tightening if you notice any. And then come back, as always, to the breath and to sounds. Okay, gently open your eyes when you feel ready and move your body if you'd like to. And I encourage you to keep up uh, a gentle background awareness of these anchors of breath and sounds and 
and the sensations in your body as we continue with the evening. So, um, returning to the thing that I was talking about before we started sitting, um, I think um, the one thing I, I said to the person who wrote me is um, that there's absolutely nothing wrong with having no emotional turmoil while sitting to have, just have no goals, just to sit for sitting's sake. It's beautiful. Um, but I said, also, keep an open mind. You don't know what's around the next corner, right? Um, and this goes for everybody, um, including the people who have been having very emotionally difficult, tumultuous um, meditations. Um, it's so easy to weave um, our experience into narratives and storylines about how things will go into the future, right? Um, because it's this way, because I am this way, it will be like this, right? Um, in the future, maybe the future is just the next breath Maybe the future is the next month or a year or rest of your life. Um, we all operate different scales, time scales, but it's so easy to um, go from having a sense of how things are now into how things will be. And that is what this practice is really, um, I think, weaning us from this this constant desire we have to get a fix on our experience, right? Um, it's reassuring to think we know how things will be, right? Um, a day from now, or even a few breaths from now. And that kind of knowing that kind of structure of expectation um, is one of the classic ways that the mind tries to control experience. Um, and so I think, um, you know, you never know when you will be surprised by pain, but also by joy, right? Um, and I think it's really, um, it's hard but this is what this practice is about. It's about how can we approach this moment with no expectations, right? Um, no sense that we know how it's going to unfold. Um, so, um, now turning to the other email that I got. Um, it's actually, it's related. And that's why I'm talking about both these emails together, even though they're on very, very different topics. So this person wrote, um, uh, just, just recounting the fact that she ha had recently been experiencing intense back pain, sciatica, this um, debilitating pain that prevented her from doing all the things that she wanted to do um, recently. And it was just frustrating, understandably so. Um, and uh, a friend had recommended a book, which I'm not familiar with. So this is, I'm just, um, I'm actually, what I'm about to say is in response to some general principles that um, this person who wrote me said about the book's argument, um, which I know a lot of people hold. And so it's not about this particular book. Um, but anyway, this book is about um, how to, you know, cure oneself of that kind of back pain. Um, and it, it, proposed a theory that back pain is almost always the result of repressed fear, repressed anxiety and anger. Um, and that if you, um, you know, if you can 
get that, convince yourself of that, um, you can release that pain, which isn't actually about the back itself and the structures of the back, but about the psychological content, which has been repressed and is manifesting in the form of pain. Um, and um, this person wrote me saying, you know, this, it was recommended because it worked. I really want to get rid of this pain, but I really not super comfortable with this way of thinking about pain. Um, and, um, and then this, the author of this book also, according to this person who wrote me, said, you know, um, you know, even just get angry at your pain, like fight it. You know, it's a battle against your pain. You got to like outwit it, you know, figure out its ruse, its game, and then you'll be able to like heal yourself of that, that pain. So, um, so I'm not going to actually talk about how to deal with intense pain. That's, that's a, a important, but much bigger topic. So um, the, the, what my response right now is not actually about how to deal with intense back pain. Um, I, 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 a few weeks ago, I actually uploaded a copy of chapter, I think 10 of Ezra's book, Being Zen on practicing with pain and suffering. Um, and so actually I recommend that um, for anyone who's in, dealing with intense pain. Um, and I'm sure there are other, John Kabat-Zinn's work on chronic pain is very good as well. And Stephen Levine has um, some very good stuff on, on practicing with pain, uh, healing to life and death um, and his book on guided meditations and um, Kabat-Zinn's book, um, Full Catastrophe Living, which is the, the textbook for MBSR training, mindfulness-based stress reduction. Those are all good resources to go to for, um, for stuff on dealing with pain. But the reason I wanted to address this topic tonight is because it, again, the issues that this book's approach to pain bring up are of broad relevance. Um, both in our culture, but especially in the, in the world of practice. Um, because it is surprisingly common for people to assume that if something goes wrong with your health, like your back or something like even like cancer, I mean, something like that, that it's somehow you are responsible for it. You know, like, um, like, you know, maybe you just never dealt with your anger, your, your anxiety, or your whatever it is, your stress, or this, you know, this or that. Um, and, um, and that was really the reason that person, you know, they just, they just never expressed anger. And so of course they got cancer, you know. Um, it's like actually shocking when you put it this bluntly, but <laughs> it's like, it's actually like a way of thinking that I don't know, I think it has deep roots in our culture, but it definitely um, got a full flowering in like the new age, you know, um, and, and different kind of new age health movements. And I think it's an incredibly toxic way of thinking about illness and, and sickness. Um, and um, so, uh, and Ezra talks about this. Um, and it was actually something that was very much alive at the Zen Center that he and I both practiced at. Um, in fact, the teacher there got uh, um, prostate cancer, testicular cancer, something like this. And he really blamed it on the fact that he didn't express his anger enough, you know, and then he, so he started to express his anger more. <laughs> and I think, and, um, and, uh, so, okay. What is there to say about this? There are a lot of things to say about this. Um, I think the first thing that I want to say that connects to what I've been talking about so far this evening is that it is such a good way to try to re-exert control over our lives, to think that we are responsible for the ills and pains and suffering that befall us. Um, you know, it might seem a little bit masochistic to blame ourselves for our illnesses, but at least in blaming, we are then sort of holding on to the fact that we had some control over it, even if we didn't do what it, we had to do to prevent it from happening. Um, so, so this isn't to say, by the way, that there aren't things we can do to, um, reduce stress in our lives and eat well and exercise, all this, like in, in, in order to like, you know, um, increase the chances of, of being healthy. But I think it's simply saying something of the obvious truth that the universe is beyond our control. 
And we, as organisms that are part of this universe, things happen to us that we cannot fully control. And sometimes we get sick. Um, and for us to assume that we are sick because we didn't do something that we should have, or, um, and therefore we are responsible for it, is actually like a very kind of uh, roundabout way of saying, see, I still have control. The universe isn't out of my control in the way that I fear deep down. So um, it's a form of knowing, right? It's a form of like, I, I know I have control over my experience. Um, Um, I think there are other things to say about it too, but I think maybe that's actually the key thing that I really want to communicate. And one of the reasons why I'm as especially keen to, to address this issue tonight is because I myself have said things in other evenings that might have led people to believe that discomfort in the body, tension in the body was always um, a sign that you had some kind of unacknowledged emotional content in the body that you needed to sort of root out and, and sort of see which would help release that discomfort or tension. Um, and it is true that sometimes when you practice deeply with bodily tension or pain, you may suddenly have a flash of insight that there, you know, what you thought as, and to use an example that I myself referred to in the past, like what I thought was just like uh, a, a tweaked muscle, you know, in my midsection, you know, running along the bottom of my rib cage, what I thought was an injury because I'd done some movement that was, is actually just the place I hold my fear. And that's the reason that nothing would help it. You know, like why all the visits to the, the massage therapist or the chiropractor, all the different things I tried for a year would not help, even after I had so much time for it to heal, right? So much treatment, so much time, and still that tightness was there. What was going on? And then it took me a while to realize, oh, there was actually fear that I was really holding there. Um, so I could see that there was some kind of emotion that was um, almost like sort of embedded at a cellular level in my muscles that start to soften and release as I practice with those sensations over time. But seeing that by tending to those sensations is very, very different from going into those parts of the body with awareness guided by a theory, thinking, there is something up with my body and is for this reason and I'm going to heal myself by figuring out what the repressed emotional content is in this area. Um, I had no clue what was going on there and just through sitting, I could see something. But as I also said in other evenings, there are sometimes, sometimes pain is just pain. Sometimes tension is just tension, you know? And the key is to approach whatever your experience is with the spirit of not knowing, beginner's mind. Just experience it as it is without the overlay of a theory that is trying to understand and in that way control and master your experience. See it on its own terms. And if there are emotions underlying that pain or tension, They'll come up, but going at those sensations with this knowledge that they must mean this is just another example of the countless different ways in which, you know, in order to get a grip on the chaos of experience, we try to organize it under a theory. Um, So the beautiful thing about this practice is actually it's so simple. It's, it's like, you know, the weird thing is like, I don't even, you know, it's like we, we meet every Tuesday. I, I say words, right? But it's like, 
I, it's just the same thing over and over again. You know, um, it's just simply attend to your experience as it is. You know, that's all it is. I think I was thinking about like, what the hell is the reason that there's so much to say? I actually think the reason there is as much to say as there is is because most of what I say are um, is intended to actually kind of mm, unsettle other kinds of ways of knowing that we bring to the practice. Like we think practice was to calm us. So I say things that suggest that, I oh, know it's actually not about calming the mind. Um, you know, that I, I, we think that practice is supposed to have this effect. So I'll say something that kind of unsettles that um, kind of um, theory or whatever it is. So I think it's, it's like a lot of the content of any talk about practice, I think is actually negative. It's sort of, destroys, deconstructs, unsettles sureties that we bring to practice. But when it's when it comes to like saying something positive practice, it's just like incredibly boringly simple. It's just like follow the breath because it's in the moment, attend to sensations, maybe like, okay, let's mix it up. Let's like attend to different parts of the body, but that's still just in the moment. It's just like, whatever, right? It's just the same thing over and over again with a little bit of variation. Um, and then a reminder to be gentle, you know, because of course, again, and the reason I say that is because so often when we bring our awareness to different parts of the body or to our thoughts, or we bring a kind of aggressive awareness, right? our awareness is actually being kind of controlled or manipulated by the self that wants to exert control. So we start to be aware in this kind of domineering, you know, analytic, controlling, aggressive way that's trying to get at our experience to make sense of it or to, to, to get rid of it or whatever it might be. So again, even the reminder to be gentle and compassionate is simply a way of undoing like the, the various ways in which practice can be hijacked by different kinds of preconceptions and desires. And so I think that's the real trick about practice is it's super simple and yet the ego can make use of anything, including spirituality itself, including practice itself to, um, to consolidate its own sense of self, its solidity, and especially to exert control. And so again, one of the reasons why I often like using multiple anchors like sound and breath is because the narrow, super narrow focus often can be sort of imbued with this like real controlling energy. Like I want to stay focused on this because I don't want any other, you know, kind of thought to intrude. I don't want any, I want to be just like laser-like focus. Um, and I think having multiple anchors is simply another reminder to be aware in a soft and open way, not in that controlling, aggressive way. Um, so practice can so often become fed by the very things that we need practice to release us from. And that's the kind of beautiful thing about practice. Practice is a laboratory. We will, and actually just in case you think, because one of some of you have the script of I'm a good person, I'm a good practitioner, I'm not gonna make these mistakes, I'm gonna take notes because now that Bernie told me what I should watch out for, I'm not gonna do that, right? No, you will, we will all practice in these ways. We will practice in ways that are designed to cure us of our ills, to get control of our experience, to achieve certain goals. We will do that. And then the key is just notice it when you're able to. When the dream has gone on long enough and you can start to know, oh, oh wait, oh yeah, okay. I'm doing that. Now that might be just a few breaths. It might be like a week. It might be a few months of practice. But at some point, if you just stick with it, you'll notice, like, oh wait, there's something kind of edgy, something hard edged about my practice lately. Maybe I should, oh yeah. I'm using my meditation to kind of get a grip on my emotional life. Yeah, I'm using my meditation practice to get rid of those thoughts that I don't want anymore, right? Or whatever it might be. We each have our own trips, right? And I think the key to remember is that no matter what trips you have, you're gonna bring them to practice. Um, we're going to be materialistic, maybe goal-oriented about practice. There's no way around that. And that's part of practice. That's not a mistake. It's part of it. 
And that's why diligence and just perseverance is so key. Because if you just stick with it over time, you'll notice. The problem is when you don't stick with it and you say, oh, it's not working. Screw this. <laughs> you know, um, I'm fed up. I've given this my time enough time. It's not working. But if you just stick with it a little bit longer, the very moments when you feel so frustrated is probably the moment when something's about to shift. Yeah. Um, that's, that's actually like, you know, a good sign. Like just when you're frustrated, pat yourself on the back. <laughs> Some, something good is happening. <laughs> um, okay. Blah, blah. That's a lot. Okay. Um, are, uh, any, any questions, thoughts, just, you know, even just people want to speak from their experience. Cause I know we've all been through this, right? We've all engaged in these fantasies. The practice is going to cure us, you know, make us the good person we want to be, whatever it is. Okay. Well, it's been good. The last couple of weeks, people have sent me emails in between classes. And as you can tell, I maintain confidentiality. I mean, it's not like as if there's anything embarrassing, any of the questions I've talked about, but in any case, I mean, just, I want people to feel totally free. And, you know, um, and, and some people I think do feel bashful about sharing something about practice in, in this setting and may feel more comfortable emailing. And as you can see, they they can lead to um, just, I guess I was going to say interesting things. I don't know if they're interesting or not. Anyway, I hope they are. <laughs> but um, they, they can lead to topics. Let me put that way, neutrally. Um, so um, so just, you know, if you have something that's like kind of like, you know, kind of stewing that you think may lead to something, send it along. You never know. Okay. So, um could we sit for one minute together? Because I do love just ending the evening by sitting, even if it's just for a minute. And then we'll say goodnight. Okay, wonderful. Oh, so for those of you who are new, I don't offer guidance in the second meditation of the evening. Please just um, do whatever works for you. Follow the breath, listen to sounds, or some other practice that you like. You know, there's one thing I realized that I would like to, to say, because um, I think some of you have seen people bow at the end of the evening and might think, oh, you know, I don't know, that feels a little weird to me, like, uh, um, like or it feels like, I don't, should I do that? Or I actually want to say just a little bit about what the bow means. Very quick, don't worry, it's not like a whole nother talk. Um, so maybe some evening I'll actually devote an evening to this, but it's sort of like just, first of all, it's not deferential. Or, you know, so it's at least not in the context of this group. It can easily, when we when we think of bowing to another person, we can often think of like subordinating ourselves or bowing down, like, you know, like Game of Thrones, take the knee, right? <laughs> to another. Um, so we're not doing that. Um, we're, it's actually um, very different. It's, so the two hands coming together is like, sort of like a way of expressing in, in an embodied way, not to. You know, what seems like two is not two, is one. And when we bow, think of it almost as like letting go of the storyline of yourself, dropping your kind of obsession with yourself, like getting over yourself, you know? So you're not bowing to the other, it's like not one ego bowing to another ego, but it's like in a way yourself saying, you know, I'm just gonna let go of, you know, my attachment to myself. And the other person is often doing the same. And it's like you meet in the space of emptiness together. Um, both sort of, you know, small cells bowing to the bigger, you know, common self that unites us all. So um, there are obviously 
way more fancy schmancy ways of describing that and like more esoteric ways but like that's just the way that i want to like an intuitive way i want to get at it. it's like it's not actually like you know one person um you know expressing kind of subordination or something like that to another or deference to another it's actually um small self bowing to the big self you know that is beyond all of us so um anyway just this does not mean that everyone should bow i'm not trying to say like please bow therefore just want to if if that helps you feel more comfortable with it or at least understand what the gesture means in the context of zen that's what it means so with that good night my friends incredibly grateful for all of you thank you bernie thank you, thank you so thank much you, good night good night everyone so thank good you. to see you all bernie. thanks bernie bye bye thanks bernie